Six years ago, I was on a plane on my way over to Italy to visit some extended family that we have over there. I was excited to get to reconnect with this part of my family, but more exciting than that, I had my husband with me for the first time. He hadn't had a chance to meet the side of my family yet, and I was really excited to see them connect and to see him become even more a part of my family as he got to meet and interact with them. So we had planned out this trip for months. We had outlined where we were going to go and who we were going to meet and see while we were there. I uh, ran the pronunciation of my various relatives' names with him multiple times to make sure we were on the same page. We were very excited for this trip, and about halfway through our flight, he looked at me and got a little bit of a, a panicked look in his eyes as he said, wait, they don't speak English, do they? I said, no, uh, not really. And he goes, but you don't speak Italian. I said, no, no, I don't. No, not really. And he said, how are we going to talk to them? How are we going to communicate? We're going to be staying with them for four days. <laughs> how is this going to go? And I said, we figure it out. It's kind of hard to describe, but you'll see. It'll, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. He didn't necessarily calm down after I gave him that advice. So we land we're tired, we're hauling our bags, we get to my relative's home, they open up the door, and the very first thing that greets us is the smell of an amazing meal that they had prepared and laid out across this table for us. These huge bowls of family-style pasta and uh, risottos and fruits and vegetables and seafood, all this amazing food. So we walk in, they grab us and hug us, we drop our bags, and we immediately sit down for this feast of a meal. What I watched over the course of a few hours around this table is that the barriers that would have separated us, language, culture, age, a whole variety of things that really should have gotten in the way of us connecting with each other, they all faded away. They became not an issue at all when we were gathered around the table sharing a meal together. Today we're talking about worship in particular but specifically what happens when we come into the sanctuary or we log in online. We participate in this act of worship, bringing our spirits however they are, whether they're weary or tired or anxious or hungry or feeling separated, however we are, when we enter this space, what happens when God invites us to a meal? the transformation that takes place when we gather around the communion table. This is part of a larger sermon series that we're in called Kingdom Citizens. Our hope with this series is that we can talk about worship, like why we do what we do in this sanctuary and online. Why do we practice the things that we do? And what we ultimately find is that through worship, God crafts us and shapes us and molds us into the kind of people who he wants us to be. And today we're talking about specifically how communion, how this meal changes us. What we will find is that when we practice communion, in communion, God unites his people around a table in order to unite us to himself. 
Our passage for this morning comes from Matthew 26, verses 17 through 19 and 26 to 29. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. If you're at home, grab a Bible or open up your Bible app on your phone. That's fine too. Let's read together. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This passage sets up for us what all Christians, regardless of denomination, regardless of background, what all of us have in common when we come to the communion table. There are a few things that we see take place that all of us acknowledge. One of them is that we gather together. And those of you who are at home are probably thinking, well, we're not there, we're not physically gathered. But what we believe is that the Holy Spirit is at work and unites us when we take communion together in a very real and very spiritual way. There's a gathering. We eat bread and we drink wine or juice to represent the body and blood of Jesus. And lastly, we are all doing it. Regardless of denomination and tradition, we are all doing it because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. So we hold all of these things in common, but different traditions, different denominations over the course of hundreds of years have interpreted this meal differently and have given it different meaning, but also kind of different practice along the way too. Communion in some ways can almost function on like a spectrum in Christian traditions. And when I look back over my life, I've been a part of a variety of different churches and different traditions over time. In some ways, the churches I've been a part of kind of represent that spectrum that communion can function on. When I was really little, I went to a church where we believed that when we blessed the bread and blessed the wine, those elements physically changed into the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. The bread and the wine became the body and blood of Jesus. Now, when that happened, it was a very big and very holy event. I was an acolyte as a little one, so I got to carry a candle lighter and ring some bells, and there was just a whole lot of uh, ritual around it, and I was kind of mesmerized by the whole thing. This was a really holy practice for us. We did it every single week, and we had a very high view of what was taking place because we believed that when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, it really meant that. I then, as a teenager, changed churches and kind of went to the other end of the spectrum. This other church, we focused in more on the phrase, do this in remembrance of me. We believe that communion was an act of remembrance, of recalling, of giving thankfulness and gratitude 
to God, uh, thanking Jesus for the sacrifice that he made for us. But we didn't believe that the bread changed when we said a prayer or that the juice changed when we said a prayer. We were doing it in order to honor and remember Jesus. One of the ways that we could tell that it was different than the first church I grew up in is that we would pass trays that had the little wafers and the juice cups, and inevitably, as we were passing the trays, someone would bump it, they would kind of spill, it was a little bit of a mess and a disaster, but we were able to clean that up because we recognized that those elements, we didn't believe that they were physically changing. And so we were doing this to remember Jesus, and we were doing this as an act of thanksgiving, first and foremost. Now, I know that many of us come into the space, including myself, with a variety of backgrounds, with a variety of traditions. And one of the beautiful things about communion in particular is that this is universal for Christians. So regardless of your particular theology, you don't need to be signing off on exactly what we believe here in order to participate and in order to gather with us, in order to be a part of this community. Anyone who follows Jesus is welcome at our table. That is the beautiful thing about communion is that you can hold any of those traditions that you have had and have grown up with, whether it's more like the first or second experience that I had, that's fine. We are going to talk this morning, though, about what we specifically believe as Presbyterians about communion, what we believe happens when we gather at this table. And this is because we believe that Jesus makes an invitation to us into relationship with him, that he can offer us something that the world can't give us, and we realize that and experience it when we take communion together. And that's an invitation that we don't want anyone to miss out on. So that's why we are talking this morning about specifically what we believe when we gather for communion. If, if communion kind of functions on a spectrum, Presbyterians land somewhere in the middle. We're somewhere in that center. What we believe is we don't necessarily believe that the bread and the juice actually physically change into anything different than bread and juice when we take those elements. When we bless them, when we pray over them, we think that they are still bread and they are still juice. But we are not just remembering Jesus when we take communion. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active and at work in the sacrament And it allows us to unite with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that we can have our spirits nourished and transformed through this sacrament. The best way to summarize this comes to us through our eco-essential tenets. It's a theological document that's relatively brief but summarizes some of the core things that we believe. And so what I would love to do is have you read along with me what our tenants say about the Lord's Supper. So will you read with me? In the Lord's Supper, we confess that as we eat the bread and share one cup, the Spirit unites us to the ascended Christ so that his resurrection life may nourish, strengthen, and transform us. Okay, there's a lot going on there. So I'm going to ask us, let's read this together one more time, and then we're going to unpack it. In the Lord's Supper, we confess that as we eat the bread and share one cup, 
the Spirit unites us to the ascended Christ so that his resurrection life may nourish, strengthen, and transform us. Communion unites us with Jesus. It unites us with Jesus, and in doing so, offers us nourishment and strength and transformation, not of this world, but the kind that Jesus can offer us. This is how we are formed as kingdom citizens, not by our own strength and not by our own will, but when we are able to have moments with Jesus where he takes us and he transforms us. When we look back at our passage for today, from the very beginning of our passage, we find this promise and this truth of God offering us unity and freedom through a meal from the very first passages, the very first verses of Matthew 26. What we read in Matthew 26 is that the disciples were coming to Jesus, and the very first question they asked was, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you to eat? Now, the Passover meal is the meal in which Jesus then institutes communion. But that was the root. That was the reason why Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the first place. And when we look at what Passover is, what Jesus and his disciples would have been celebrating, we see this truth of God offering freedom and unity through a meal. Passover is instituted back in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. In the first 12 chapters of Exodus, we see God's faithfulness over and over again. If you haven't read it before, or if it's been a long time, I highly recommend that you go back and read it. But what we see is that God's people, the Israelites, they are enslaved in Egypt. They're oppressed. They are crying out to God in pain. And as they are experiencing this, God hears them and creates a rescue plan for his people. This rescue plan has a few steps to it, but the very first thing that God decides to do is that he institutes a meal. He institutes the Passover meal. He gathers his people around the table and commands them to take an unblemished lamb to roast that and to eat that as a meal that would nourish and fulfill and strengthen them the night before God is planning to rescue them. God tells them to put the blood of, of the lamb on their doorpost, and in doing so, it marks them as his people, giving them protection and strength. And so then the Holy Spirit comes through. There's a plague that night, and it passes over the homes of those whose doorposts are marked. And the Israelites wake up in the morning, and they realize that their God has rescued them, and they leave Egypt. The very first thing God does when he rescues his people is that he institutes a meal. So in the context of communion, as Jesus is sitting with his disciples, they are remembering this act of redemption and freedom where God reunified his people with himself. They're no longer under the oppression and enslavement that they had experienced. Jesus is celebrating this as he's looking at his disciples. And as he knows that his death is the following day, in reflecting back over his 33 years, he's encountered so many people for whom sin is enslaving and trapping them. They're carrying the weight of that around. 
And he knows that he is about to become that very unblemished lamb that God called his people to sacrifice. And looking around, he knows that what the rescue plan will entail. And in that moment, he decides to follow in his father's footsteps. Then as they are gathered for this Passover meal, Jesus would institute another meal, the communion meal. In doing so, he would offer us unity and freedom. Just as the Holy Spirit worked through the Passover meal to protect God's people and to bring them into freedom, so also the Holy Spirit works through the communion meal to unite us with Jesus and to bring us freedom through his death and his resurrection. When we are united with Jesus, when we take communion, we believe that a few things happen. The first is that we receive nourishment. The second is we receive strengthening. And the third is that we experience transformation. I want us to talk a little bit about each of these. This idea that we receive nourishment for our spirits when we enter into worship and share in the communion meal. I have a bit of a confession to make. I have a lot of very good cooks in my family. They're very good cooks. I am not one of them. And I I wouldn't say that it's uh, from lack of trying or reading blogs or um, any attempts that I have made. Uh, What I actually think prevents me from being a good cook is a lack of patience. Um, Knowing that I need to chop and simmer and set timers and, and allow things to stew, I'm just not good at it. If I were in charge of our dinners, we would be doing a lot more like frozen bagged meals and that kind of thing, because I just don't have the patience to really create a good nourishing meal. And yet, what we know is that to get rich, nutritious, good food, it takes time. It takes time for us to be able to pause, for us to be able to show up and prepare, and to go through the full process of making a good, nutritious meal. This is why communion happens in the context of worship, that when we enter into the sanctuary, this is one part of us singing and hearing scripture, hearing the word preached and praying together. Because our spirits in a world where I think many of us run low on patience and on time and kind of like to rush through things, we are meant to have time to step back and to pause, to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in a deep way in our lives, and then to share in a meal that will nourish not only our bodies, but our spirits themselves. Tish Harrison Warren wrote this wonderful book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she writes that Christ is our bread and gives us bread. He is the gift and the giver. God gives us every meal we eat and every meal we eat is ultimately partial and inadequate. Pointing to him who is our true food, our eternal nourishment. Jesus is the one who offers us nourishment, whatever that looks like for your spirit, whether you entered into worship today feeling tired and needing energy or feeling heartbroken and needing comfort or feeling 
a little lackadaisical and weary and needing some motivation and encouragement. We receive nourishment. We receive what we need when we gather around the table. The second thing that we experience is strengthening, strengthening of our spirits. As I have met with many of our members over the last few months, I've heard over and over again the weariness the tiredness that people are feeling this year in a new and unique way. And what I hear at the heart of it is that much of this weariness and tiredness has come from separation. Separation physically. We're not able to sit next to each other in pews. Many of us are worshiping online. Um, Separation politically and ideologically as we anticipate this coming week. Separation even from just our regular rhythms and routines, like our normal ability to work or to raise kids and the things that we are just used to doing, all of that has changed. And as we experience that separation, we get weary and we get tired. When we come into this space to worship together and to share a meal together, Just as Nick and I gathered with my Italian family around their table and there should have been every single reason in the world why we wouldn't connect with them, those reasons break down. Those separations and barriers break down when we enter into this space and when we take this meal together. Because it's not then about our particular political leanings. This is not about Uh, our, our particular social stances or how we feel about the state of the world, all of that stuff melts away because we are focused on Jesus. We are focused on his death and his resurrection and the, the life that we receive through him. And in doing that, the separation that should break us apart, we are instead unified by taking communion together. The Apostle Paul knew this when he was talking about communion In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We are unified and made one when we come into this space together because we are being formed as kingdom citizens of a God who calls us together. The last thing that we experience at this table is transformation. We are moved beyond the scope of our sometimes myopic, narrow, earthly perspective and into the recognition that the hope that we have in Jesus is an everlasting hope. It is an eternal hope that we have in Jesus. Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Life of the Beloved that's all about communion. And he says in there that when we gather around the table, we recognize that long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Our preciousness, uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time, our brief chronological existence, but by the one who has chosen us with an everlasting love, a love that existed from all eternity and will last through all eternity. 
When we gather for this sacrament, we recognize that we may be bound by an earthly perspective. We may see only what's around us here, but that Jesus has a different perspective. We recognize that those who have gone before us and those who have passed are seeing Jesus face to face. And when we take communion together, we get to participate in experiencing Jesus too. We get to experience the transformation that this world is not the only hope that we have, but we have an everlasting hope through him. Jesus acknowledges this in the passage that we read today. In the very last verse, he says, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is a heavenly banquet taking place. There is a heavenly banquet taking, taking place, and those who have passed from this earth are seeing from a different perspective than what we are. But we are invited to the communion table. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit unites us with the resurrected Jesus that we may have hope, not in this world, but in the everlasting love of God.